from LPM, Louisville Public Media. Support comes from Vision Zero. On foot or behind the wheel, safety is a shared responsibility. And Vision Zero Louisville believes zero roadway fatalities is the only acceptable amount. Their mission is to create safe roads by design, engineering solutions, and education. More information at visionzerolouisville.org. This is uh, Where Y'all Really From. I'm Charlene Buckles, a proud Filipina Kentuckian, and today in the studio with me is Nancy No. So Nancy, I like to start every episode when I interview guests of asking, where are you from and where are you really from? Right. So, hi, my name's Nancy Ngo. I was born and raised in Louisville, Kentucky, but my parents and I are from Vietnam, specifically in Ho Chi Minh City. And it's a really beautiful city in Ho Chi Minh, but my dad came over here in 1982 due to the Vietnam War, and he came as part of the Vietnamese boat people. And my mom came over here in 1997 after marriage to my mom. That's what, are, were they refugees or were they immigrants? Or you know, My mom was more of a straightforward immigrant that people think of, like, there's marriage or there's work, and then she came over here. But my dad really came more after the events of the war, and Vietnamese people were basically given the option of sending one or two people in their family to get on a boat to go to whatever country they want. My mom, my dad and his older sister chose to come to the United States. But before that, he had to stop for a couple years in Malaysia, a couple of years in different islands before he was able to make it to San Francisco. And then he made his roots in Kentucky. And you had just graduated from UofL. Yeah, I did. I graduated in May with my master's in public health. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And I wonder, too, you know, like we talked a little bit about, you know, offline about um, navigating, you know, parents who have come here as immigrants and you being born and raised here. What was that like for you here in Louisville Um, and, you know, trying to navigate all that as a student and all of all of those things that we have to juggle? Yeah. So one of the other aspects of my life is that I'm the eldest daughter of an immigrant family. Oh, yeah. So then you kind of get into that trope of. The eldest daughter takes care of a lot of things in the family. Um, I also act as a bridge between America and Vietnam for them since I was born and raised with Vietnamese as my first language, and it took a while for me to learn English. But learning English was extremely vital because once I learned it well enough, I became the man translator for my Mm -hmm. entire family. Mm -hmm. Anytime they had doctor's appointments or having to deal with their grocery store and Basically, any sort of paperwork, I was the main person to sit down, walk them through what needs to be done, what needs to be provided to whatever organizations they're working through, and eventually just kind of take over a lot of the paperwork that they needed to do instead of just helping them. You know, what's really interesting is that when we, um, but when Dana and I spoke about this and, you know, talking about our parents and things, it, we, when I think about it, 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 in my head, it, for me, it happened, you know, in the 90s yeah. and or you hear about when people talk about coming on and it's like one and a half generation immigrant, yeah. you know, um, and I haven't yet spoken to someone who, you know, who was born and raised here and trying yeah. to navigate that. And at a, such a young age, yeah. was that how was that like for you, like just generally growing up and navigating all of that? I think when I was younger, I never really noticed there was a difference between myself and my peers 
it was only when I started getting into college when I started getting my own life by living in a dorm, hanging out with friends, being a little more independent of my parents when I realized how much responsibility that I had from such a young age. For instance, my friends would hang out at parties all the time. I would just go straight home or just do whatever extracurricular activities that I was doing, like all the science clubs and all the math clubs and such. And even when I was living in a dorm, every single day I had a phone call with my parents talking about how to work through a Word document or Mm -hmm. how do I need to talk to a specific person about whatever topic. At some points, I would just have to take time out of my day to take them to doctor's appointments or just talking to health insurance for four hours. And we know how it gets with the wait time there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It's it's difficult for me even as an adult to (laughs) manage and then being in a in a whole different system that you've never grown up with and right. coming here when you're much older, you know. Yeah, and like one of the other things that I think that I started to think a lot about is people, whenever they're done with school, they would just hang out with their friends or they'd go on vacations with people over the summer. But then for me, it was a lot more of I come home every single week. I do all my work there. I travel back and forth between my parents and myself I really also take care of my younger sister as well since she's the baby, so she doesn't really have to take as much responsibility. So a lot of taking care of her, watching over the things she does also falls to me. And I don't know if that's just Asian American parents versus myself or that's just a general thing Mm -hmm. with all Asian, like parents and kids. I don't know. I feel like there is like this unsaid pressure to be the role model and to be a second parent. Mm -hmm. I think, too, especially when you have um, first generation immigrant parents that are trying to navigate that, like Mm -hmm. they're like, well, you got this. Like, you you know, (laughs) take care of them. It's like it's also like it's a part of. um, Well, at least for the Philippines, there is like there's words in which that are uh, that describe the older siblings. So Kuya is like older brother and then Ate is older sister. And it Mm. is something of like a reverence almost like you have to use that when you refer to your elders, even if it's like a sibling. Right. Um, And so there is a way in which like in our culture and then within our various languages that 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 have. um, Yeah. Like you said, the the elder child but then also the elder daughter has this other level of responsibility how did you deal uh, with that pressure just generally giving how did you manage all of it I think I managed it pretty well just because I even though like I'm talking a lot of my parents throwing a lot of responsibility they do understand when I have boundaries such as exams or I need to do different activities or even when recently I've been having to go out a lot for different organizations and different positions that I've been in. So I think that's something that's really unseen in a lot of Asian families just because usually I keep hearing my other Asian parents saying that, oh, yeah, my parents won't let me do this and that. But I'm really glad that my parents are understanding when it comes to things that are important. And I think that they're learning. So a lot of the pressure is there. But one of the things that have helped a lot is just they're pretty open to communication whenever it's really important. And speaking of these extracurricular activities, (laughs) recently in this past spring, you were the Derby Queen. You participated as the Derby Princess. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tell me about that experience. Why why be a part of it and, you know, how you got part of it. Right. So I think one of the first things is just to explain what the um, Kentucky Derby Festival Royal Court is. So essentially, we go through a 
application process where over 80 individuals this year applied and they had transcripts sent in. They had essays written on why they want to be part of the royal court. We had to write down all of our extracurriculars, GPAs, and so forth. After that, everyone who qualifies goes through preliminary interviews where we have five minutes to answer as many questions as possible with nine judges, which, you know, that's a lot of time, especially when you're someone who overthinks on questions (laughs) and tries to say as much as they can as as short of time possible. After that, you are narrowed down to 25 individuals who have to go through a 10-minute interview with three out-of-state judges. And the point of that is try to make sure that there's really no sort of bias that's there whenever we're narrowing down people. So with that, I had to do two letters of recommendation from someone and then a lot of different paperwork afterwards. After that interview, we ended up with five Derby princesses. And these individuals, they chose based on academic achievements and also a lot of the community-driven passions that we have for um, in our respective fields. Then with that, we wait till maybe April or so. And with a spin of the wheel, we choose a Derby queen to reign for the next year. Luckily, I was standing at position one, which honestly is my lucky number. And they spun at one. So I guess I got that <laughs> position. For those that don't know about the Kentucky Derby Festival Royal Court, mm-hmm. can you tell us all what, what that entailed? Like and how long the commitments and how many things you had to do for that yes. once you got selected? Yes. Yeah, so once you got selected, typically people start maybe the second week of January and it ends right after the Kentucky Derby. So from there, we had to go to, they claim 70 plus events, but I'm, we went to 82 events this year. There's wow. maybe one event per week towards the beginning. And then when you get to April where everything's picking up, We go to five or six events a day. There are a lot of times where we woke up at 3 a.m. We would sleep in the van whenever we had a break, and we just trudged on through until we were done. Wow. Like, what kind of events were there? Like, what, what, yeah. I I cannot even list like 82 events in my head. What type of community events or or particular things were you all doing during that time? So, there were some events that are sponsored by the Kentucky Derby Festival. For instance, there is. Justice Fest, which is where JCPS students have different ideas to promote different issues and try to resolve social justice events. So that was a really cool experience. And then there are some fun events. So trying out food, having bourbon tastings and all the works. And there's another aspect where we really try to prioritize community service. So each of the Derby princesses were able to choose an organization where we would go and host a volunteer service event there just to make sure that we are not only just going to have fun, we're also giving back to the community that has chosen us and we are happy to represent. What was the event where you had to be on call at 3 o'clock in the morning? (laughs) That was Derby Week. (laughs) We had um, TV showings starting 5 a.m. to 7 a.m., so we had to get ready at 3, prepare at 4, and then get on at five all the way through seven. We went to backside where we were able to meet some horses by some of the trainers. And then we, it all went through the night where we went to a lot of galas. We went to um, the Knights of Columbus charity events as well. 
um, one of the biggest events that we were able to go to was on Friday night of the night right before Derby. We were dressed in expensive evening gowns <laughs> and it cost, I think, like $12,000 for us to come in. Wow. So, like, it was a really fun experience. But aside from that, some of the other events were wardrobe fittings, meeting with the mayor, meeting with the governor, and all of the fun things that we don't really post about, but they're all cool. <laughs> and it's the same way as, you know, trying out all the foods in Louisville. Did they, did you um, have to provide those garments or what, like I've heard that like they they like get you all oh, dressed yeah. they, up and they like get us that. all dressed up and we are able to keep all of the stuff. <gasps> Whoa! So, it's, so I just have a large ball gown just in my closet <laughs> and I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> That's almost incentive right there to apply. <laughs> what was your favorite event? I mean, you talked a little bit about the the social justice fair, right. but is there any a couple of them that you were like that was a really cool experience you would not have experienced? Yeah outside of the Derby Princess? Honestly, I I loved all the events because they're all very unique in like their own ways, but Thunder Over Louisville was amazing. We were on the 24th floor of the Galt House, so we had a very nice view there. And I was also able to invite two people to come experience the um, Thunder with me. And then we also had radio shows and we were able to go to the control center where we saw how everything went down, how there's a countdown and everything. Literally as soon as the fireworks sent off their countdown immediately went to 365 days until <laughs> Thunder Over Louisville. Really cool. <laughs> so that was a really cool experience to go through. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, so why so why did you feel compelled to apply? Like what right. what made you want to be a part of that? Yeah. So Initially, it was one of those things where I'm like, wow, I have never seen an Asian American, any sort of pageantry position. But I just want to make it a point that this position is not pageantry. It's more really academic achievement, community service. So just like take a note that even with those positions, though, I have never seen an Asian American. And those that I have seen was from I think the last person was 2012, and mm -hmm. um, it was Taylor Sang, who was a Derby princess then. And I was like, okay, I'll just apply for fun. If I get it, I get it. If I don't, then I don't. And I also knew a lot of previous Derby princesses who've told me that it's a lot of work, but it's a very worthwhile experience. So imagine my surprise when I get the callback saying <laughs> that I've gone through the first round and then the second round and then that I made it and then especially being queen. And I think it's just a very special experience for me because initially this derby is something that I really love, but I've never been able to experience just because of busyness, family obligations, and also, my God, the price to get into Churchill Downs for the derby. <laughs> so that was one thing. But then the other thing was really special when I won Derby Queen and I saw my family sitting at a table like screaming their heads off and Aww. they were jumping and hugging each other and even till now anyone who was at that event would go up to me and say oh yeah I remember your family and like how excited they were to <laughs> see you win so it was just such a special moment not only to represent the Asian American community but also just to show my parents that there's all these experiences out there and what we as Asian American youth could do to help raise awareness about Asian Americans. This is Where Y'all Really From, a podcast from LPM, Louisville Public Media.
Support for LPM Podcasts comes from the Eye Care Institute and Butchertown Clinical Trials, where they strive for diversity, equity, and inclusion within their staff, patients, and clinical trial participants. To learn more, visit butchertown.clinic. Welcome back to Where Y'all Really From. You know, talking about a little bit before about how you were saying, um, you know, you were juggling a lot of these, like ha- trying to explain, you know, yeah. all of the things that um, different processes here in the States, but then also just generally Little League insurance. Mm-hmm. How did you, how was that like explaining to your parents like what the Derby is? and what yeah. Do you all have like back to back schedules for the entire Derby Festival? Right. And having right. to be at all these different places yeah. and all of these promos and and community service things. And so how is that like juggling that with your parents and told, and also explaining to them like, yeah. hey, this is like a really, yeah. you know, intense process, but right. very, very cool experience. So maybe the from the moment I told them I applied, which honestly, I only told them I applied after I got into the first round because mm-hmm. I knew they were going to be like, oh, my God, what is that? <laughs> but even up to now, like anytime we mention it, they're like, oh, you're such a pageant princess. And it's like a whole joke in our house. But <laughs> As they saw me wake up at 2 a.m. to get ready for 3 a.m. call times and coming back at midnight for maybe every single day since April, they started to realize how much of a big deal it is, like how many eyes are looking at me every time every single word or action that I did was recorded at some capacity. Like even during Derby, even like that wasn't as important for us just because no one was really paying attention to us. There's thousands and thousands of people there and a lot of elected officials there as well. So we were the last people they cared about. However, like I noticed a lot of different cameras were pointed at us because they're like, oh, who's that? Why do they have a sash? So they started to better understand what a big position this is, especially for college students and for women and for Kentuckians as well. And they still don't get it 100%, but they understood the importance and how much work that I had to put into. So that was when my sister started taking over some of those aforementioned responsibilities. And she's done a good job so far. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And you had posted, too, I think on your social media, um, I want to say maybe in your Instagram or something that you really it was such an honor to be named yeah. queen for you because it really represented the API community right. and and what that means. So what does that mean for you to be, you know, the Derby queen for this yeah. past year? And then uh, but then also that representation part. Yeah. So, you know how API has never been fully represented, even though we're such a crucial part to the United States of America and our history in general. And so a lot of the things that I've been doing really kind of started after the Atlanta uh, massacres. And I really started thinking about I really need to do something in order to not only represent ourselves, but also just to better understand the things that different generations have gone through and what we as youth can do in order to, you know, kind of have a better future for our grandkids and our future generations. So by being part of this organization, I've really been able to have different opportunities to speak about API. And I've also been working with different organizations around Louisville and also virtually to talk about what things that I can do as a Derby princess to talk about. Okay, here's all the cultural experiences that we've gone through. Here are feelings revolved around 
the Atlanta massacres, about COVID in general, and all these other things that people misunderstand about Asian Americans. So it was a very unique experience as a derby queen to be in. You touched on this a little bit um, as an API youth. Mm -hmm. And I do wonder if there's a difference in, I don't want to say your generation because that makes me old, but like in like the younger generation, you know, in college age, and you're still managing these responsibilities and the family, you know, obligations that you have for your immigrant parents and for first generation parents in general. But is there a way that you feel like the API youth now today in your college campus and and all of these things is is it different? Like, is it a way where you all are taking your history and your present and your future, mm-hmm. making it your own? Because for me, as a 30 something year old <laughs> mom of two, yeah. managing both my mom, my children, I'm still mm-hmm. in that realm of like, I'm still trying to figure it out. I don't know how to engage. I don't know, yeah. like, what we should do. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you feel like that sentiment is similar, different? I I definitely age? agree. You as a twenty three year old with no kids, like most of my time is with my parents and my schooling and a lot of social responsibilities and um, relationships. I'm still trying to figure out right now. <laughs> but I do think that there is a large gap right now, just because a a lot of the API youth are growing up in the United States and are spending the majority of their lives in the United States. So they're learning a lot of American culture, American values, and that could especially clash with Asian parents and grandparents and so forth. And especially in the Vietnamese community, my dad was honestly one of the first Vietnamese people in Louisville. So he and whoever is around his age and older created this entire community in Louisville. And so they have embedded a lot of their values that they brought from Vietnam here. So it's really difficult to navigate that sometimes. Like, for instance, I was just talking to my parents about moving into a new place. And they're like, okay, like, give us your keys. Like, <laughs> we want to be able to come in and out whenever. And, just, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, but but there's boundaries. And even though I understand that their fear because I am moving out by myself for the first time in a long time, um, they're not going to be able to, you know, see me whenever they want. So I understand the fear. But now there's this gap where API youth want to be independent as soon as possible and try to mm. pave their own paths as um, young as possible versus my grandparents really set the path for my parents. And they're just trying to do the same thing for me. So in a way, I understand the things that they're going through, but it's just hard now, especially with learning American values and also with technology. They don't know how to use technology, and the youth is now responsible for teaching them how to basically live with all of the iPads and the smartphones and so forth in this era. I find it so really fascinating because when I think about my youth and like high school and college, I was like, I don't want to say angry, maybe resentful was the word. I was really resentful about my upbringing Mm -hmm. and how I like missed out on a lot of things. Um, And I felt like my parents just didn't understand, you know, my mom didn't understand why I needed to like play sports. Like it didn't, like she was concerned about my grades and like that didn't, you know, the extracurriculars, what does that really mean? And so I was really, really resentful, but it seems like, and I don't know, maybe this is just like more anecdotal, but yeah. like I, it seems like the more younger API people, 
AAPI Kentuckians, particularly that I talk to that are college age, that seems more of a balance, like it's more respectful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you find that same sentiment or are you you also find like there's like this like rebellious streak in all of us. <laughs> We're just during yeah. that early age. I mean, I know for a fact there's the rebellious stage in like every single AAPI youth, don't get me wrong. Like in my head, I also have thought multiple times about, oh, maybe I should just do whatever I want. I don't need to tell them what to do. But, you know, it goes back to that eldest daughter sentiment where you're like, okay, I can't screw anything up. Like there's a lot of pressure on me. There's a lot of responsibility I shouldn't do any of that stuff. Let my younger siblings just do whatever they want. I'll just like deal with whatever I have to do. It's kind of more of setting this, I don't know, like it's a whole thing where I shouldn't be doing all these bad things because then it'll reflect poorly on my parents and then poorly on our entire family. It's like that whole process where Asian Americans really care about their reputation more about the inner happiness within their family. So I never went through it, but I'm sure a lot of people have held some level of resentment. And I do feel angry sometimes that I'm not able to do certain things that all my friends are able to do. But I think that's just a part of the culture that we have right now. And I hope in the future we can change some level of that. What does your future hold for you now? You know, you've accomplished getting your master's, yeah. Derby Princess and mm-hmm. Derby Queen. What um, What is the path forward yeah. for you now? So I will be starting law school at the University of Louisville Brandeis School of Law. That, it, that's a long phrase. But I'm really excited because I'm going to be there as part of the Human Rights Advocacy Program. So I'll be able to use my abilities or whatever skills that I will be growing soon in order to advocate for human rights and specifically amongst the immigrant population and low income. So hopefully with all of the things that I've done with Derby Queen, with getting my master's and everything, I'll be able to use those skills and my anecdotes to benefit the community in a different way. Well, it's really exciting, and I'm, we're looking forward to seeing what you accomplish next. Yeah, um, absolutely. We're going to finish up and wrap it up with the lightning round questions. All right. And so if you've listened to season one, you kind of know what, what those are, um, but we'll try to go really, really fast. Mm-hmm. What is your superpower? Being patient. <laughs> <laughs> that's really, really funny, actually. Yeah, we, uh, yeah that's really funny. Um <laughs> What song do you jam out to? Currently, it's Ordinary Man by Ozzy Osbourne and Elton John. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. But there's a lot of K-pop in there. So, like, <laughs> can't remember most of the names right now. That's really funny. Yeah. Uh, what's your comfort food? Barbecue chips. Wow. Yeah. That, you are really good at this lightning round. <laughs> <laughs> and that is really delicious. Yes. What is. is the most Kentucky thing that you do? I don't know if this is a Lovillian thing, but just correcting people when they say Louisville incorrectly. It's like <laughs> such a thing. Like, I don't understand. Like, if people in Louisville say Louisville, then just follow it and say Louisville. Not Louisville, not Louisville. <laughs> it's Louisville. <laughs> What's funny about that is that I recently, like, interviewed someone. They are like, I had to really, like, practice how you say Louisville. And, like, I could not, you know. Uh, but anyway, that's really, really funny. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much for being here today and sharing your story and um, it all in your journey. So we look forward to seeing what, what happens next and the path that you pave. Thank you. It's an honor to be here.
Where Y'all Really From is created and produced by Dan Wu, Charlene Buckles, May Suramek, and me, Nima Kulkarni. Our executive producer is Laura Ellis. Our associate producer is Alex Biscardi. Kojin Tashiro wrote our theme song, and Leanne Gan created our logo. Where Y'all Really From is part of the Louisville Public Media Podcast Incubator with support from the Eye Care Institute's Butchertown Clinical Trials. Our Lexington interviews are recorded at Radio Lex with engineering and assistance by Mark Royce. For more information and to keep in touch, visit whereyallreallyfrom.org. <laughs>